Good morning, friends. The last Sunday of the year. It's an exciting time in my, in my mind, thinking about uh, um, what God is going to do in my heart and in your hearts uh, this coming year, praying for those things, hoping that uh, the work of the Holy Spirit will produce wonderful fruit that will be a blessing to each of us. Um, that's kind of the things I think about during this time of year. Uh, New Year's Eve being today makes me think of what 2024 is going to look like. Um, I don't know if that's how your brain works, but mine does. And I, I wonder about things like, am I going to see some uh, healthy patterns develop in my life? Am I going to uh, get more exercise? Am I going to eat better? Um, no. Am I going to develop more meaningful friendships? more significant friendships deepen the ones that I have. And so I'm, I'm wondering these things about, about you. Is, is this the kind of stuff you think about during this time of year? I think it's a healthy practice to um, unpack these kind of things in our hearts and minds as we prepare to enter another year. Are we going to focus more on the will of God and, and his revealed desires for us in scripture? Are we going to focus more on, on people than on projects? So, Sun Valley Church, what do you want 2024 to look like in your life? Uh, I, I would challenge you to think about these things. One of my goals in preaching Colossians in 2024 is to see a, a great work of grace take place in our lives, not, not just individually, but corporately. I really have been praying that, that uh, we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Peter said in his second epistle. In the Old Testament, we read repeated struggles of the Israelite people to maintain a passion for God, to maintain a pursuit of God. Uh, most of the the prophets, both major prophets and minor prophets, are engaged with this problem in Israel, and that is the, the decay of their spiritual well-being. And uh, if, it, when you get to the Old Testament prophets, you, you read these things and that's what you see. A uh, pleading with the people to return to God, to, to pursue him with all their heart. Isaiah, uh, for example, was commenting and, and pleading with the people of Israel about this very thing. He said in Isaiah 64, verse 7, There is no one who calls upon your name, speaking to God, no one who rouses himself to take hold of you. What an indictment from a prophet in Israel. So in Isaiah's day, it seemed that the pursuit of God was almost extinct. No, no one really cared about deepening their relationship with God. No one was willing to rouse themselves to pursue him. The people of God. We're not talking about <laughs> the pagans of the day. We're talking about the people of God. So, <clears throat> what are we going to do, Sun Valley Church, about our personal need to take hold of God 
in 2024? Are, are we going to be the ones in our families, in our small groups, in our church, to rouse ourselves to take hold of God? And if not you, then who is going to do it? I want to challenge you this morning to rouse yourself to pursue Jesus in 2024. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Think about that verse. Think about the words of Jesus there. He's saying only those who attain the kingdom of heaven are those who pursue it with violence. So what does Jesus mean here? Is he inciting violence? The answer may surprise you pacifists. He is indeed inciting violence. Not violence against other people, but violence against self, violence against spiritual apathy, violence against disinterestedness. Jesus says, you, you want the, the benefits of the kingdom of heaven? It's going to require holy violence. And it is this way because our natural desires, our natural inclinations are not for a closer walk with God, a more interested perspective of our Savior. It's just the opposite, isn't it? We don't struggle with spending too much time in the Word. Man, I just wish I wouldn't prayed so much last year. It's, it's, we don't have that problem. The problem is just the opposite, isn't it? It's because of our natural inclinations that we struggle with these things. We, we tend to drift away from God. Jesus in Matthew 11 was saying that if you want to enjoy the glories of heaven, if you want to experience the benefits of being in God's kingdom here and now, if you want to experience firsthand what it's like to be in an intimate, life-altering, joy-producing, contagious relationship with the God of heaven, you'll need to exert passion and effort to accomplish it. It won't come to the lazy. Jesus called it violence. So this morning I want to tie together Paul's prayer in Colossians 1.9. Since we're in Colossians, he said, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of God and his will. So I want to, I want to tie together that prayer of Paul's in Colossians 1.9 um, to the teaching of Jesus that I just read to you that, re, that our pursuit of God takes a holy violence, a maximum effort. And so today's sermon really is an in-depth exposition of these simple words but profound words in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 being filled with the knowledge of God. What does it mean? How can we do it? How are we going to go about inflicting holy violence on our sin and our apathy in 2024? How are we going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill Peter's command to us in 2 Peter 3, 
in 2024? How are we going to move in the direction of being filled with the knowledge of God and his will? What's your plan? Psalm 119, you remember that wonderful study that we had in Psalm 119? That whole psalm is about this holy violence that's required to take hold of God, particularly in reference to his word, taking in his word. If you remember, of the 172 verses in Psalm 119, all but two refer to the intake, the passionate intake of the word of God. It requires passion, godliness, delight, a, a engagement of your whole heart, an inclination of your will, a, a longing, a desire. Those are the words used in Psalm 119 to describe what it takes to actually take hold of God. But we have a problem. I've already addressed it, I've always explained it, but let me read for you Galatians 5.17 to give you Paul's perspective on our problem. For the desires of the flesh, we all know what those are, the things that we want to do naturally, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another, to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The reason that the Holy Spirit has entered the, the heart and mind of the believer is because we have these natural inclinations that must be resisted. And by God's grace and goodness and mercy, he gives us himself in the Holy Spirit so that we can fight the battle against the flesh. So we can do holy violence against the things that are keeping us from taking hold of God. So what are we going to do in 2024 to defeat the flesh and build up the spirit to take hold of God? to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know that there is a battle for your soul, don't you, Christian friend? You know it wasn't just a prayer at junior high camp and the, the issue was resolved, right? It's a daily battle that we face. So in Colossians, Paul's intent is to stir up our hearts to be filled to overflowing with Christ instead of filling our lives with whatever comes naturally to us. In chapter 3, Paul begins to instruct his readers in Colossae um, on how we can take hold of God. If we're going to win the battle against the flesh, if we're going to see ourselves grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it requires a plan. And here is how Paul begins to unfold, unpack this plan for us here this morning. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you want to follow along, you can turn there with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you claim Christ, if you've been saved, if you've been converted by the Holy Spirit, if you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things, that's an imperative, this is a command. If you're a Christian, you must seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, another imperative, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So here we go. Here's the plan. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so Paul will lay out for us the plan designed by the Holy Spirit to get you to the place where you're actually interested and passionate for holy, exercising holy violence to take hold of God. Put to death is Paul's phrase. That phrase was translated by earlier Christians, especially in the Puritan era, as mortify. Have you heard that words? Your grandma used to use it. I'm mortified, she would say. Right? Well, this means put to death. I'm not sure my grandma meant I've been put to death when she said that. She usually was disgusted with something I had said or done when I heard those words. But here Paul is saying, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Mortify those things that come naturally. Put them to death. John Owen, a great Puritan, maybe the greatest Puritan, famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Mortify sin or it will mortify you. And those who belong to Jesus Christ, Paul said in Galatians 5.24, have crucified the flesh with its passions. Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so evidently, Paul saw this as a common problem to the churches, to the people in the churches to whom he was writing these letters. The letter to the Romans, the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Galatians, all have this kind of language. Put to death these things. So, how are we going to do this? Well, we, we look into the scriptures, we, we depend on the Holy Spirit, but the Apostle Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 that that he disciplined his body in order to keep it under control. What we learn from that is that this crucifixion of the flesh that he describes in, in Galatians 5.24 is a daily habit. Again, it's not something that's resolved in your history. Like a spiritual high you had in some moment of the past. No, it is a daily battle that you must fight. It's a holy war that continues until the day you see Jesus face to face. On this particular Sunday, today, which generally falls between Christmas and New Year's, I have been for the past few years taking sermons of or the thoughts of great Christian preachers or authors of the past and preach them to you. Uh, you'll remember that I've preached sermons from Octavius Winslow, Charles Spurgeon, Thomas Manton, among others. And today, I'm taking my cues um, not only from the Holy Spirit here in the text I've been referring to, 
but also from the great Thomas Watson, the Puritan. The first Puritan, in fact, that I ever read was Thomas Watson in his book, The Godly Man's Picture. I got hooked on Puritans because I read that book. Anyways, today I want to re, re, kind of help you think through these things by using Thomas Watson's thoughts in his book called Heaven Taken by Storm. Heaven Taken by Storm. There's a group of men in this church um, that uh, meet in the Sun Valley Church garage on Saturday mornings during the winter. Uh, and uh, we fellowship around a book written by uh, Puritan authors. And this winter we're reading this book, Thomas Watson's Taking Heaven by Storm. If you're interested, uh, I'd, I think it'd be great benefit if you were to read that book uh, among other Puritan writers. But my sermon today will bring together Jesus's words in Matthew 11:12 about taking the kingdom of heaven by violence, Isaiah's complaint that there was no one rousing themselves to take hold of God. Uh, and I want to do this in order to help you better understand Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, that says, be filled with the knowledge of God. So, Sun Valley Church, I want to enter 2024 uh, with a vision for what could be in each of our lives if we will just take hold of God, be filled with the knowledge of God and his will. I think that this is going to be a great encouragement for you. So if we're going to be filled with the knowledge of God and his will, if we're ever going to take hold of God, we must have the following, the resolve of the will. You wanna take hold of God? you're going to have to be determined to do so. <laughs> it's not going to come naturally. It's not going to be easy. You must have the resolve of, of the will. You must be determined to pursue him. When Jonathan Edwards was 19, yes, 19 years old, he wrote 70 resolutions that he tried to keep. And he reread these resolutions every single week until the day he died, when he was 54 years old. Here are some of the 70 resolutions, just to give you a flavor. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Resolved never to lose one moment of time but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Resolved never henceforward till I die to act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. Resolved, I will act so as I think I shall judge would have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. Resolved, never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight 
with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence, I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that I can be thought of. From a 19-year-old. <laughs> Extraordinary. You wonder if this is why Edwards was so powerfully used by God. He had a resolution of the will. He was determined to take hold of God. He wasn't like most of us who think that we get more spiritual as we grow older. That is not the truth. These were Edward's attempts to take hold of God in his life. This is what Jesus was referring to when he said that it requires violence to enjoy the kingdom of heaven. Part of the violence we need to apply to our struggle to be filled with the knowledge of God and his word is to be resolved to do so, like Edwards. If you're never determined to actually pursue a deeper knowledge of God, you never will. It doesn't come naturally. It's not like if you sleep with the Bible under your pillow, it'll happen. No. It won't. Many, as a, many of us make resolutions every year about this time of year, about our diet, our exercise, our habits for the coming year. Why not make some resolutions like Edwards that will assist us in our growth in grace and knowledge of the Lord? Make resolutions about what you're going to read, what you're not going to watch, about Praying, about fellowshipping with other saints, about serving, about giving. Make resolutions that will draw you to take hold of Jesus in 2024. And then give those resolutions to somebody that will hold you accountable. Secondly, besides the resolution of the will... We need the strength of the affections if we're going to take hold of God in 2024. The strength of the affections. Watson, Watson suggests that this is similar to the resolution of the will, but it's focused on the affections. Affections are different than the will. The will is mostly directed by the mind. The affections are directed by the heart. So our affections are what lie beneath the service. They are the motivations behind why we do what we do. The strength of the affections. Let me give you an example from Scripture in Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That's an affection. It's a thirst. A, a, a thirst that, that pursues, that, that prompts, that motivates taking hold of God. You remember Psalm 19. It also referred over and over again how the affections are required to be engaged if one is going to have spiritual health. 
Engaging the affections, of course, is something that's outside our ability to navigate. Why do you like the things you like? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you like what you like? Even to your taste buds. What what is that? Well, (laughs) we must plead with the Holy Spirit when it comes to spiritual tastes to break up the fallow ground of our hearts and renew us and implant godly affections, godly desires, a actual fervency to take hold of him. Because it's not going to happen in your natural self. Make it a daily request of God. Make that one of your resolutions. To pray that God would excite in you a passion for him. An affection for the things of heaven. The things above, as Paul said in Colossians 3. Next It requires, if we're going to take hold of God, the violence against self. Here's where we get to the idea, Jesus' idea in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is going to require violence against self. And again, revisiting the idea of mortifying sin. This is what we're talking about. Violence against self. We have to kill sin if we're going to actually see a genuine, authentic pursuit of God in 2024. The things that get in the way, the things that interrupt that pursuit have to be mortified, have to be killed. Paul said this in Colossians 3.5, Romans 8.13, Galatians 5.24, 1 Corinthians 9.27, and so on. It's a repeating theme in Paul's writing. And so we, we must consider how are we going to go about mortifying sin, killing these things that keep us from our pursuit of God. One is this. Here's an aid for you to mortification. Withdraw the fuel that makes sin burn. What is it that is connected to your sin, whatever that is? What is your prevailing sin, your besetting sin? Whatever that is. We all have them. What is it? I guarantee if you do a little thinking about that, you will discover common issues, the reasons that you sin. For example, if you are beset by lust, I guarantee you, you sin more lustfully if you spend more time on the internet or social media. Guaranteed. You want to fight that? You want to remove the fuel? that burns that sinful fire, spend less time on the internet or on social media. Every sin that besets us, whatever it is, lust, greed, bitterness, has common denominators. Find out what they are, remove the fuel. If you have a problem with gossip, and you know it happens when you get into some little conversation with one of your friends, stop doing that. Remove the fuel. It'll help you mortify that sin, that thing that interrupts your pursuit of God. Secondly, fight against the flesh with spiritual weapons provided by God. You know that God actually provides with you weaponry to fight this battle? He doesn't save you and then say, good luck, (laughs) 
hope to see you in heaven. No. He actually provides you with spiritual weaponry. Things like prayer, things like his word, things like faith. Read Ephesians chapter 6. It goes through a litany of things that God has provided for us, his children, to fight the battle that he has placed us in. Watson said the best way to fight sin is on our knees. That's a helpful picture, isn't it? The best way for you to fight sin in your life, that thing that interrupts your pursuit of God, is through prayer, according to Watson. Paul said in Romans 6.14 that sin will not have dominion over you. There's an example of how the word of God comes alongside your battle, your fight, and gives you weaponry to fight it. It helps you think, okay, sin is not going to have dominion over me. I can actually win this battle. I can actually win this fight. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have all these spiritual weapons at our disposal if we simply will access them for the fight that is going to rage whether or not we access them. So if we're going to do the violence against self that's required to take hold of God by mortifying sin, by provoking duty, provoking to duty is the next one. We have to provoke ourselves, that's the violence, provoke ourselves to duty. You know how you can provoke the neighbor's dog? Well, provoke yourself to duty, all right? What does Watson mean when he writes, we need to provoke ourselves to duty? What he's saying is that we must apply pressure to ourselves in order to grow in the knowledge of God and his will. In order to take hold of, of him, we need to apply pressure to ourselves. For example, we must wake up in the morning at a decent hour so that if we're going to take hold of God, we can spend time in his word before the day begins and everything else clouds your mind. Get up. Wake up. And it's not just a physical waking up. It's a spiritual reality. We are, we tend to be, I should say, spiritually asleep. We, we, we doze off and we don't really think how fast life is passing us by. How quick, quickly we are approaching the day we will see our Savior face to face. We, we kind of don't want to think about that, so we don't think about that. But taking hold of God requires a holy violence in duty. We, we get into a spiritually sleepy state very easily, and we must be prompted to wake up and fight against it. Otherwise, we remain in this spiritual doze and think all is well. Because we don't think about it, all must be well. Bunyan talks about this in Pilgrim's Progress, remember. Here are some ideas about the spiritual duties that Watson believes must be provoked. These are areas of the Christian life where we must do holy violence. And when I say them, they'll be obvious to you. The first is resolve to read the word. Resolve to read the word. Are you resolved to such things? Reading the word of God? Hopefully, the 
intake of God's word goes beyond your Sunday morning hour that you sit here. God's word is the greatest treasure besides Christ himself that we have. We have the actual and accurate words from God right here in our hands. We're not like the lost pagans who've never heard of Christ or many unreached people groups who have no written language or a copy of the scriptures, no. We have Genesis through Revelation in our hands waiting to be read, waiting to be studied. How many copies of the Bible do you have? Psalm 19 that we read earlier says this about the scriptures that we possess. More to be desired are they than gold. Really? Do you desire your copy of the word more than your financial situation? That's what Psalm 19.10 says. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I don't know if many of you have seen this. If you haven't, you should look at them. Jordan Vidmore, one of our missionaries with uh, Pioneer Bible Translators, his work is to go around the world and record uh, the, the supplying of the completed words of God to an unreached people group. So Pioneer Bible Translators goes in, they learn the language of a certain people group, an unreached people group, they translate the word of God, they, they print hundreds of copies or thousands of copies of the Word of God, and then they go in and they give them away for free to these people groups. That's what Pioneer Bible Translators does. Jordan records it on video. Have you seen those videos? These people, you know, that look strange to us, you know, bones through the nose, that kind of stuff. Maybe that's not too strange to us anymore. Um, but uh, uh, that kind of person, you know what I'm talking about, they, they, he records these, these people that are just clamoring for these copies of the Bible in their own language that they've been taught to read. And they're dancing. The, the elders of the tribe are just going bananas, literally, running around throwing stuff in the air. and It's a, like a week-long party. I don't recall that happening here. Or anywhere in my human experience. Why? Because we've always had this, haven't we? It's ho-hum. Yeah, the Gospel of John. Yeah, I read it a hundred times. These people, it's like sweeter than honey. They would agree with Psalm 1910. It's more precious than gold. And it's free. Jesus told his disciples that it is from the scriptures where spiritual life comes. John 5, Luke 24. Peter said that we have everything we need for life and godliness. Think about that. We have everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him. And yet, because of the ease of access, we lack the resolve that we need to take advantage of God, to take hold of God. Eh, I got 10 copies. I'll get around to reading it at some point. At Sun Valley Church, we have never had a cutting-edge church strategy. We don't have a lot of programs. We don't have elder strategy sessions. 
We don't do many of the things that typical churches may do to maintain some sort of relevance. Our strategy is simple, and it is this, preach and teach the scriptures. That's it. Verse by verse, and then let the Holy Spirit have his way in our hearts. Pray that he has his way in the hearts of the people that attend here. Watson called the Word of God the library of the Holy Spirit. You know what God's interested in? His Word. What's in your library? This is the library of the Holy Spirit. What's in your library? Is this one of the books in your library? See, we preach the word here, we pray the word here, we sing the word here, we depend on the Lord of the word to apply to our hearts and radically change us. We want, as we saw earlier, the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Colossians 3.16. And we do this at Sun Valley Church because the Bible is the perfect rule of faith. It's God's word to us. In other words, the Bible teaches us how we can have a right relationship with God, how we can please him, serve him, know him, and actually be friends with him. How we can love his people. So the Bible contains everything we need for a full and satisfying life. Yes. All these things that we pursue to try to gain satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in life, when the promises of God reveal to us in Scripture, tell us that His Word is that. It's a treasury of blessing waiting to be dug up. It's, it's also an armory of God for those of us who are in Christ to use against the attacks of the enemy and the temptations that the enemy brings. The, the Word of God provides weapons to fight against sin. For example, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Paul said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? In other words, God lives in you, Sun Valley Church Christians, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You want to fight sin? Friends, here's a great thing to keep in mind. You don't belong to yourself. Like Edward's resolve, I'm going to live my entire life not thinking that I am my own, but I am God's fully and fully, fully his. So remembering that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price, strengthens our resolve against temptation, against sin, against believing that we can't win the fight. We can. We now belong to God. When pride begins to exert itself in our life, which it does regularly, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to scrub that from our hearts. 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, he says, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want grace, don't you? You don't want to be opposed to God. You want grace from God. In Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul mentioned that there's an inheritance for those of us in Christ. Do you know about that inheritance? How much do you know about that inheritance? Do you know that it includes pardon of sin, adoption into a divine family, comfort and distress, stress, strength for difficult times, and all things future? Do you, do you know that's 
part of the inheritance given to those who are in Christ? Jesus himself used the words of God to combat temptation when he was in the wilderness with Satan, you remember? The word of God also works as a mirror to examine ourselves, which ought to be done regularly. To see where we are spiritually. How do I look spiritually? James says it's a mirror. Psalm 19 verse 8 says that the word of God gives light to the eyes. What that means is that the word of God gives understanding. You need more understanding about what you're thinking about, about life in America today. The word of God also works as a hammer to break the hard heart. A lot of times we think of others when you hear that. Oh man, I wish the Holy Spirit would just hammer on so-and-so. Well, think about it as it relates to you. The Holy Spirit melts the hard heart through the use of the word. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God, applies it to areas of our heart that are resistant to submitting to his will, and he melts that hardness away with the word of God. Like frost melting when the sun comes out. The word of God also is a balm for the weak, for the broken, for the heavy-hearted. We've had our share of things this past year or this year, haven't we, at Sun Valley Church that fall into this category. Are you struggling with anxiety, sadness, loneliness? The Word of God comforts us in all of these things. Psalm 31:15 says that my times are in God's hands. You believe that? Do you believe that your life, the life and times of you and yours are in the hands of God? Or do you believe that you still are in charge of that? Well, if, if God is true and these comments about him in Psalm 31:15 are true, that we and our times are in his hands, and if he is loving, which the Bible reveals, if he's good, kind, and all-powerful, which the Bible reveals, then anything that comes my way is for my good and for my joy, no matter how difficult it is. Do we trust that? You know, if, if you really want to resolve to take in the Word of God more in 2024, you can go to Legionnaire Ministries and they have Bible reading plans that you can download, Legionnaire Ministries, um, I, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R, Legionnaire Ministries. They have 25 different Bible reading plans you can choose from, whatever fits you and your schedule. So resolve, resolve to take in, to read the Word. Secondly, resolve to hear the Word. Resolve to hear the word. Watson goes on to address the importance of hearing the word preached. That's, what he's, that's the difference. Reading the word is, is the, the words that are on the, the page, the, the black ink entering through either your ears or your eyes. Uh, but here when we're seeing re- this term, resolve to hear the word, he's speaking of hearing it preached. Watson said this, we may bring our bodies to the preaching of the word with ease, but not our hearts. 
not without violence. So you can sit here and smile and pretend all you like and no one will know the difference. Except God. Watson says it takes violence to bring our hearts. Are you prepared when you come here on Sunday morning? Or did you get to bed really late last night and you're fighting to stay awake? Or are you looking forward to some game this afternoon and that's distracting your heart and your mind? Are you battling in some relationship that's distracting you in this moment? Watson says that coming to the word preached is the highest importance for a Christian. The highest importance for a Christian. So how diligent are you to being prepared for the preaching of the word on Sunday mornings? Do you get to bed on time Saturday night? Do you prepare your hearts to receive the word preached through prayer and, and self-examination? Is there anything between you and your Savior that might interrupt the reception of the preached word? When you sit here, are you concentrating on the word preached and its application to your life? Or are you distracted by lesser things? Which is it? If you come to the Sunday morning worship service unprepared to take in the word, what can you expect from the sermon? If you're not paying attention, it's easy to go out of here and go, that didn't do much for me. <laughs> Watson pleads with his readers to do the following in order to get the most out of the weekly hearing of the word preached. Remember, he says, that it's God who is speaking. That puts some onus on us, doesn't it? And on me. Remember, it's God who is speaking. Yes, when I exposit the word of God, accurately, it is God speaking to you. You've always wanted, since you've been in junior high, to hear God speak. Listen closely. And so, from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. You just heard God speak. Next, remember the weightiness of the things being spoken. Is there anything more weighty than spiritual things? Remember that if the preaching is not regarded, the word will not be remembered. I can never remember what the sermon was about. Why? Watson says because you're not regarding it. It's not important to you. <laughs> you remember all the baseball stats. You remember where the market closed yesterday or on Friday. What's important to you? Listen to this quote from Watson. God punishes carelessness in hearing with forgetfulness. God punishes carelessness in hearing with forgetfulness. Are you careless? You come prepared. The next, if we want to take hold of God, is resolve to pray. Resolve to read the word, resolve to hear it preached, resolve to pray. Do you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of God? Then you must pray. Prayer takes discipline. It takes holy violence to maintain a spiritual commitment, discipline to do so. Struggle to offer God fervent prayer. 
It is a battle. It's easy to make heartless prayer. God help the missionaries. No, we resolve to pray because of the majesty and greatness of God and the depth of our need. God's nature requires zeal in our prayers. God's not a haphazard God, a disinterested being. No, James tells us that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Jesus said, knock and it will be open to you. We've been encouraged in scripture by apostle and savior to pray. Keep, here's, a, here's a, something that helped me, because I'm ADD in many ways, and especially when I come to my prayer life. It's amazing how my prayer life exposes the weaknesses of my heart. So, I know this about myself, so when I go to pray, I keep a notepad beside me, because without fail, I'll think of everything I need to do while I'm praying. Right? You gotta you gotta call the county, you gotta pay the bill, you gotta, you know, buy the gift, you gotta and oh yeah, I was supposed to be praying. Oh, my prayer time's over. See you tomorrow, Jesus. Right? <laughs> so keep a notepad, and when your mind or the enemy distracts you to be thinking about something other than what you're praying about, the the duties of the one taking hold of God, simply jot a note to yourself. Call the county, buy the gift, etc. And then continue to pray. Don't think about it anymore until you're done praying. And there are many um, tricks, if you want to call them that, to set aside time to pray. Read a good book on prayer, for example, <laughs> is helpful. Uh, read the prayers of the New Testament, including Jesus' prayer, Paul's prayers, one that I'm preaching on right now. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. It's a prayer, and he records a lot of his prayers in his epistles. Let's move on to the next one, resolve to meditate. I have a few more, but I want to leave room to um, prompt you to read uh, Thomas Watson's book yourself, Heaven Taken by Storm, and so I'm going to leave the rest of them off, but I'm going to end with this one, resolve to meditate. Resolve to read the word, resolve to hear the word, Resolve to pray, resolve to meditate. And what am I supposed to meditate on? Some of us don't even know how to meditate. Well, we all meditate, but just change the focus of your meditation. Instead of meditating on sports or relationships or shopping or fill in the blank, meditate on the scriptures. Meditate on how to kill the sins that need killing. What's the fuel that's causing this sin to go, to burn? Meditate on how to remove it. Meditate on the passion of Christ for his people, particularly in his suffering. Meditate on your understanding of the gospel. Is it clear to you? Can you go from beginning to end in the gospel? Meditate on the sovereignty of God over all things, starting in your own history. Or maybe go further back in your parents' history or your grandparents' history. Meditate on the sovereignty of God bringing you to where you are today and where he may have you go. 
Meditate on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Meditate on the evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Meditate on the futility of earthly pursuits. And if you can't figure out what the, the futility of earthly pursuits are, read Ecclesiastes. All is vanity, if you don't recall. Meditate on eternal life. Meditate on God's work at Sun Valley Church. Meditate on the ways you can encourage others in your life, on the shortness of life. Meditate on the sermon preached. So, friends, what's 2024 going to be like for you spiritually? Is it going to be the same as 2023? You know, they say insanity is wanting change but doing the same things over and over again. If you haven't seen the spiritual growth in your life that you've desired to see in 2023 or 2022 or 1940 for some of you, uh, why not change the plan? <laughs> why not change the plan in 2024? Do something different. Be resolved about some things. Take hold of God by holy violence. Let's pray. Father, what mercy you have given us to have the word of God, to have your spirit indwell us if we're saved, uh, to be motivated through the preaching of the word to pursue you, to take hold of you. Lord, my prayer is today as it has been now for quite some time and will continue to be through 2024, that we, your people here at Sun Valley Church, will take hold of you. That we will do all things necessary to gain a hold of our Savior, to gain a deeper knowledge of you and your will for us. Lord, don't allow us to continue on the path of mediocrity Allow us not to be satisfied with this inconsequential, lifeless pursuit. I can't even call it a pursuit. This perspective, a lifeless perspective. Help us, Father, don't allow us down that path to continue down that path. Shake us up, Holy Spirit. Grant us an affection for pursuing you wholeheartedly. Grant us the affections required to take hold of God. Bless Sun Valley Church. Bless those in this room this coming year with these things. And we pray them in the name of our Savior, who made all these things possible. Amen.